Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making working from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. A plan to start the season as soon as May is being considered, and we'll take a look at who that could impact. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not it. had the three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, April 8th. Al Melchior here, and I am joined today by Derek Van Riper. DVR, this is kind of a bombshell report that we've had in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Um, it was reported by The Athletic's own um, Ken Rosenthal, and then we got some additional details from Jeff Passan of ESPN. But the basic upshot is that we theoretically could have a season by sometime in May or possibly early in June. We can dig into some of the details, but what's your uh, your overall feeling or thought about this? I think this is really just MLB kind of thinking out loud about how they could structure a season and reduce or almost eliminate air travel from the day-to-day aspect, the series-to-series aspect of the schedule. I think doing this in the spring training locations, you know, we've heard Arizona, we've heard Florida mentioned, Phoenix specifically makes a little more sense to me because there's less distance between the parks. I think you could get out to Goodyear from the middle area of Phoenix, central Phoenix, in 40 minutes or less on a typical day. I think that's about the the longest you'd have to go from central Phoenix, at least. And I think that means your your furthest road trip, if you're going end-to-end across the valley and outside the valley, is like 90 minutes at most. So it's very different, right? It's a totally different environment compared to a typical regular season travel schedule. I think some of the specifics are really off the wall. Uh, sitting in the stands rather than dugouts. Like that kind of jumped out to me as a really like that's that's not how this is really going to work. I, I don't I don't see players sitting in individual rows behind the dugout and then walking down the concrete steps <laughs> onto the field to hit like that just that doesn't seem logical to me, right? Like I understand the goal, yeah. but that doesn't seem like the the way it's actually going to happen. Uh, we keep hearing double headers in these different possible shortened schedules, uh, just trying to maximize the number of games. If you do that, you got to have expanded rosters. It just it seems like a series of ideas that just raises more questions. And I think what I keep coming back to in all of this is that we as people don't get to set the timetable here and. Major League Baseball team owners don't have that power either. They think they might have it, but they really don't. It's just all about how the virus continues to spread. And May seems like it's just off the table. I know that's what the report says. I I think June is the earliest, and I still don't think we're going to see games that count before July 
no matter how much we want baseball to come back sooner, that just seems like the best case scenario to me. So all in all, it feels like a pipe dream, even though there are several elements of this that actually do make some sense. Yeah, well, and I, you know, you said that, you know, we all want baseball back. And I have to admit that when I first saw the report that, you know, my initial thought was, really, we could have baseball in May or June. And I I actually got a little bit of excited and that lasted maybe 30 seconds and started to think about some of the repercussions of that and the idea that you're isolating players from their families and from everybody for a minimum of four and a half months. Uh, and the things that you mentioned in terms of, you know, where do the players sit? Is that really workable to have players sit in the, sit in the stands? Is it really workable to have that many double headers, especially when there's not going to be, uh, an operational minor league system, no matter how big you make the rosters. I mean, there's just a lot of things here that just don't, that don't really seem to work. And, um, of the many comments I saw on Twitter, one that really stood out to me was from Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. And it was just a, a, a brief tweet saying something to the effect of baseball is not the most sanitary sport, you know, and that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's just, it just seems very, as you said, like a pipe dream, uh, just not very, uh, doable. So, uh, I do admit to getting a little bit excited very briefly about it, but, um, you know, that did not last long. Uh, there is a poll that uh, Major League Baseball trade rumors ran, and uh, I thought that the the way they framed it and the results were, were pretty interesting. They gave respondents three choices. Uh, the question was, what do you think of a 2020 MLB season in Arizona? Your options were intriguing possibility, worth considering just not starting in May, or not even worth considering. And just over 50%, 51% said intriguing possibility. And then the the rest was pretty much split about one out of four uh, each for worth considering and not worth considering. So pretty much all over the map. Yeah. And I just think what this proposal seems to discount is the sheer volume of people needed beyond the players to make the league run in this way and the amount of resources that would have to be dedicated towards keeping everybody involved in the process safe. The number of, of COVID-19 tests you'd have to have available and just the complete system you'd have to build to make this safe, I think it takes longer than people are giving it credit for. And then you have major ethical questions too. If there aren't enough test kits to go around for the general population, why on earth would we be stockpiling them for baseball players, right? I mean, that's just another yeah. angle that you start thinking about in a scenario like this. So it, it's it's good for the sake of optimism. It's good that they're thinking about different ways to play some baseball. This just doesn't seem like the way it's going to happen, at least not in its entirety. It just seems like there's already, uh, just seeing some of the reaction from players, Irian um, Dolan, uh, Sean Doolittle's wife, you know, had a really interesting perspective on this too. Uh, you just see the way the players are reacting to it and, and families are reacting to it. And that's just a small slice of the reaction so far. And you can just tell they're not on board with this concept as it was kind of leaked or introduced or reported upon. Yeah. Well, and you know, you started off initially by saying that it just seems like a trial balloon that MLB and the Players Association is just throwing out there. And it strikes me that way as well. But that said, uh, since we do have this 
I don't even know if we can call a proposal, uh, but you know, we have this uh, idea on the table. I thought we'd run with it at least for this episode, and you know, we can sort of we can apply the exercise we're about to do to other potential scenarios, maybe ones that are more realistic. But if we do have a scenario that's like this, then particularly with a lot of double headers then you are going to need very large pitching staffs and you're certainly going to need at least six starters that go fairly regularly. Uh, so, you know, with that, that in mind, I mean, there are pitchers that may have value uh, that we didn't really consider would have value. And just to give one example, uh, just on Tuesday's show, Michael Bell and I were talking about the progress made by Cole Hamels and how he's going to be ready to pitch a full season, whatever that happens to mean in 2020. And maybe that's bad news for Sean Newcomb. But now if you put it in this context of having all these double headers and a condensed schedule, maybe somebody like Newcomb comes back into the fold among pitchers that we consider to be fantasy relevant. So I'm going to throw out some names, DVR, and you. I'm just going to leave it to you to kind of run with you know who you think might have more value in this sort of scenario. So we've got Newcomb, Merrill Kelly, who right now would profile to be the sixth starter for the, the Diamondbacks, Michael Kopech, who we've talked about, Brendan McKay, Rich Hill, who could be ready for a full season, Yulee Chassin, who maybe doesn't lose the fifth starter job now uh, with a condensed schedule, Austin Voth for the Nationals. You've got uh, the two prospects for the Padres, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. Plus, you've got Cal Quantrill, who's kind of outside looking in in a conventional five-pitcher uh, rotation. Corbin Burns of the Brewers. Jonathan Loisega, who we've talked about on the show. And for the Red Sox, Colin McHugh, who we've talked about. And there was a report earlier this week that uh, Darwins and Hernandez might be in the mix for a rotation spot when baseball returns. I thought that was interesting and intriguing. And I hope we do talk about him a little bit. Forrest Whitley, maybe he gets more of a shot this year. And Chad Cool coming back from uh, Tommy John surgery. You and I talked offline a bit about it. We both sort of forgot about Chad Cool, but maybe he becomes uh, an, an impact pitcher and at least in a deeper league sense. So anybody on that list that intrigues you or somebody I didn't mention? Yeah, I think there's enough names here where I, I can pick a few that I like for sure. I, I think Sean Newcomb He's still long, long term, I think more likely to end up in a bullpen role, but I was pretty intrigued by what he was doing in the spring. I think the opportunity was there because of the Hamels injury and now with the possibility of either something like this where six starters would be used because of double headers or just the idea of a shortened and condensed season. I think the six starter spot is going to be more valuable than usual anyway. I think teams are going to have to rely on their depth just to simply make it through an 81 game or a 100 game 100 game season whatever we get i think that pitcher or those pitchers if even go six or seven deep on some teams they are a bigger part of the plan uh i, I like mckenzie gore anyway i think the padres are kind of towing that line as a team that could justify pushing a lot of chips in for this season anyway and a shorter season of course adds variance so i could see gore and maybe even luis patino both ending up with a, a larger percentage of the big league innings than we had previously expected. Um, one guy that got me thinking about something I talked about with Eno Saris on rates and barrels is Yulis Chassin because he's so breaking ball dependent. He throws his slider a ton, right? And thinking about this all Arizona scenario, breaking balls are a little harder to get a grip of in dry conditions. 
And Arizona's dry all the time. Like even in its humid months, Arizona, I think, is still relatively dry. So I just wonder how different pitchers are going to be impacted by that. Not to mention spring training park factors compared to the big league park factors. But I think there are certain types of pitchers that could be more negatively impacted by these environments if some kind of plan like this comes through. Uh, Corbin Burns, I think, would, would get a bump for sure just because if you do go six starters deep, you're not worried about him being a, a two-inning guy out of the bullpen until someone gets hurt or until uh, someone struggles enough to lose their job. So he'd definitely get a bump as well. And uh, Jonathan Loisiga, I, I, just, I keep looking at him as a guy that because they have so much talent in the Yankees organization as a whole like you keep thinking that move to the bullpen was going to happen but it kind of seemed like if the season were going to start on time he was making his way into a rotation spot so a lot of good names on this list yeah yeah and you know Siga is somewhat topical because it wasn't uh, too long ago just maybe a few days ago that uh, there was a report that he was slotted in for that fifth starter position when it looked like there was going to be uh you know a normal opening day so he certainly deserved to be on the radar but i, I i'm going to come back to the red sox here because these two pitchers really do intrigue me colin McHugh and darwin's and hernandez uh i think there's even in a condensed schedule some durability and innings concerns for for both pitchers but McHugh went healthy two years ago was fantastic uh granted in a relief role but uh you know, I think there's upside there. And Hernandez, I mean, the idea that he'd be more than just, uh, you know, a, a bullpen guy and sort of a mid-innings bullpen guy at that, uh, somebody with just really uh, high strikeout potential also walks a lot of players. But, uh, you know, certainly pros and cons to both pitchers. Uh, so what's your level of intrigue with, with McHugh and Hernandez? Hernandez is tricky for me because we haven't seen great ratios in the minors we've seen a good era at high a at a 356 era over 101 innings there uh, but the overall body of work is just a ton of strikeouts low home run rates but walks have just derailed him and i don't know if that flaw goes away even if you're using him for four innings at a time, if you're doing kind of the the follower sort of thing with him, I, I don't know if you're going to get more than just a, a strikeout upside sort of guy. Now, compared to some of the other names they were looking at just a few weeks ago, I, I think Darwin's and Hernandez is by far more interesting than the Brian Johnson's, the Ryan Weber's. I mean, it was, it was bad. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Colin McHugh, I think, gets a little more of a bump for me because he was a late signing uh, this spring, giving him enough lead time to maybe get back into his throwing program as things start to ramp up, at least give him a chance to get on the same playing field as the guys he was competing with, at least on paper. Whereas if we were starting the season already, if we'd already done that, he might have opened the year on the IL. So... I think he's just in that group of pitchers who, because he had an injury and because of this delay, he recovers more and maybe he starts starts getting on the same schedule as everybody else, whereas that just wasn't going to happen before. 
Right, right. And I want to circle back to Hernandez just one more time because you did mention the fact that in addition to the high strikeout rates, he didn't give up a lot of home runs in the minors. That can obviously be a very misleading indicator when you're trying to project performance in the major leagues. And we are talking about a small sample that uh, Hernandez had in, in 2019 as a reliever. You know, didn't log a lot of innings, but he is one of only two pitchers with at least 50 um, batted balls allowed who did not allow a barrel last season. And his profile in a lot of ways is very similar to his teammate, Brandon Workman. A lot of walks, uh, a lot of soft contact when contact's allowed, but also lots of strikeouts. So the idea that you could have somebody like Workman giving you four or maybe five innings a shot, I, I realize there's risk there, but I could see taking a flyer on him uh, in, in you know, deeper, deeper drafts uh, once we start drafting again. I always come back to Robbie Ray as the guy who struck a lot of guys out and had bad ratios when he first got that opportunity to be a big league starter. And in the right circumstances, that can play just fine. And I think for a team as bad as Boston is, as far as its starting pitching depth, that could easily be one of their five best options to just see what happens and pull them after four innings. And even if they do that, Let's say he makes 20 starts this season and he averages four and change. 90 innings from him probably leaves you with 110, maybe even 120 strikeouts. Like he's that kind of pitcher in that category. So people have taken chances on guys with a lot less ceiling than Darwin's and Hernandez before. Yeah, absolutely the case. Uh, just to get back to the the proposal at large here, uh, our featured read today is a really good piece to read if you want to dig into basically all the things that potentially could go go wrong and just really get sort of a well-rounded uh, picture of it. And it comes from Eric Steven of uh, True Blue LA. MLB's reported Arizona plan has too many hurdles to work. So I think the title pretty much gives it away there. But I just found it one of the better accounts out of many good accounts uh, that I've read in the past day or so about this whole situation. So with that said, we're going to wrap things up on this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, check out our current three-month free trial. Also, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do is, of course, included as a part of your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melchior. We'll be back here on Thursday. Thursday. 